right, so Mother's Day has always been one of those odd uh, holidays for me because I'm one of those people who like never had children. And so, uh, you know, it's always a little odd when everybody's getting their cards and all their little fun things like that. But the thing is, I knew as a young girl that I never really wanted to have babies. And the thing is, I never felt like I could tell my mother this. It was like my big secret. So if you knew my mother, well, you would just have to know my mother. She was like Grace Kelly personified. Just beautiful bathing beauty from New York. But then she also had a little bit of like the Virgin Mary inside of her. <laughs> because, well, you know, we were like Irish Catholic and everything. But there was this one picture of her when she was pregnant with me. And she's in her pregnancy smock, like out to here, and there's this beam of light um, coming from her belly up, like up to the sky. And I thought, gosh, like motherhood is like, you know, it's like it was like commuting with the Holy Spirit. And so that's kind of how she raised me to think about motherhood. Like it's the most, it's the highest calling for a woman, and especially like growing up. Catholic and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> but the weird thing about my mother, she kind of had this like mixed message sort of, you know, like behind her, and she would say to me, you be sure to use your talents. You be sure to use your talents. And I was like in second grade going, it's like talent? It's like, what's a talent? I mean, <laughs> like hopscotch, bubblegum, like talent? What is that? So anyway, that was from the, the mixed message that I got from her. Um, her dream was to have a big house, you know, the husband, well wait, the husband, the big house, and then have as many kids as she could possibly have. Um, and so there was Mike, and then me, I was like Julie Andrews, the little Julie Andrews haircut kind of twirling around. <laughs> And then came Julie, and then came John. The big house, all the bedrooms were really getting quickly filled. <laughs> and then in the mid-60s, my youngest brother Joe was born. And he was born with something called Down syndrome. And back then, it was sort of like this freaky thing. People called it mongoloidism. Those kids had been institutionalized for, I guess, hundreds if not thousands of years. And this was 1966, and the doctor said to my mother, well, put Joe in institution. You don't need to bring him home. And my mother, being who she was, said, no, I'm going to love this baby. I'm going to bring him home. And by golly, she did. And we all got involved in helping to raise Joe. I would hold baby Joe. I was seven years old in second grade. Just watch The Sound of Music for the first time. <laughs> I would help tie his shoelaces. And then at night, I would help him get ready for bed, brush his teeth. And he was considered like low functioning, so he didn't really have good, like, you know, motor body kinds of stuff. So we had to help him pretty much do a lot of stuff. Even though he was like a love Buddha and was always hugging people. Like in public, if he was here right now, okay, watch out first row. You would be constantly hugged by, <laughs> by my, my brother Joe. So I felt really special growing up with him. But at night, my mother would say to me, as she would kiss me goodnight, you be sure to use your talents. You be sure to use your talents. 
So I realized this is like a really important thing because my mom keeps talking about this. <laughs> and it's not like anybody at school was really talking about that. I mean, we were like learning our cursive longhand and our little A's and B's and C's. And so using the talents was like the thing that we were supposed to do. But all of this got complicated like during puberty. <laughs> because for me, I got the sense that to use your talents, you actually have to have a body to use your talents in. And what I saw happening all around me is that all these girls were getting crazy about starting their periods that they could eventually like walk down the road towards motherhood. And I just had this sense early on that that was kind of a scary thing. Like for example, I would walk down the, the um, a hallway in our house and there were all these pictures of our New York relations. And I would see this one woman, she was my great aunt, great aunt Mary, and God, I looked just like her. But my mother never talked about her. So one day I said, Mom, who is this Aunt Mary person? And she said, well, Aunt Mary was a wonderful woman, but she died in childbirth. But don't worry, those things don't happen anymore. <laughs> so you know, inside I'm making this mental note, like, OK, motherhood equals like mortality, and so like, avoid it at all costs. <laughs> and then we had a swimming pool in our backyard. This is in Southern California. Everybody had a swimming pool in Southern California. You fly over Southern California and everybody has a swimming pool. So we were like one of those people, those Salamitos. And uh, we all be in our swimsuits jumping in and out of the pool. And my mother was by the side of the pool with her shorts on and these really, oh, kind of like this actually, these really <laughs> thick hose. And I'm like, Mom, it's 95 degrees. Why are you wearing those stockings on this beautiful summer day? And she said, well, you know, I, I have these varicose veins and what she she really did. I mean, there was like red and green and purple, big bulging things going through her legs. And she wore the support hose during the summer because she was didn't want to show her legs off, former baby beauty that she was. And um, she said, you know, sometimes this is what happens when you have children. You get varicose veins. <laughs> and, you know, it's okay because you love your children so much that you would do anything for them. And so, like, I make another mental note, like, okay, there's no such thing as, like, using your talents and then losing your complete cosmetic integrity at the same time. I mean, the two didn't go together. But then, I think maybe something that really cinched it for me is I would walk past her bedroom at night, and sometimes the door was closed, and I would hear her crying. And I know she didn't want to hear me crying, but I would kind of hear her crying. And um, I had a sense that maybe it was because of the challenges of having somebody like Joe in our family, but I think it also was because she was married to my father, <laughs> who was a very taciturn FBI agent, man of no words. But when he did speak, it was like an acid tongue, and he could knock the life spirit out of you. So the whole womanhood, motherhood thing just felt so complicated. How in the world was I ever gonna use my talents? So enough sadness, right? Enough sadness. My mother did not like sadness. So she decided at the age of 15 that I would go off to New York City and see the family relations, all those pictures up and down our hallway at home. Uh, I was so excited. I'd never been there before. And just a few years previous, I was writing in my little journal, little poems. And my mother had found one of my poems, and she sent it off to my uncle, who was a typesetter at the New York Post. And he typeset that poem, and it was sent back to me, 40 copies, on beautiful hardcover paper with the raised letters. 
and the name Mora Conlon Los Alamitos on the bottom of that, that piece of paper. I thought, oh my goodness, maybe this could be my, maybe this could be my talent that I could use. So I go off to New York and walking down the streets of Manhattan and I'm like, I'm like Marlo Thomas and that girl, like, you know, like, I don't know, you're all probably too young to remember this, but, you know, the single girl in New York looking for Donald Hollinger, the boyfriend, and the West Side apartment, and all the people in New York, so, you know, they just look like they are really using their talents. They've got their faces and their portfolios and the subways, and everybody's in such a hurry. So different than our house in California, where I knew my mom still kind of, you know, sort of slaving away over Joe and helping him find a place in the world. So I decide at that age that someday I'm going to move to New York City and I'm going to use my talents there. Well, <laughs> I came home from that trip and my mother gave me a typewriter, an electric typewriter, the first electric typewriter in our family. This is the last century, of course. <laughs> and she also looked at me and said, I hope somebody in this family writes a book about love, about raising, being with Joe. And I was like, okay, like, got it, you know? I think I know what my fate is here. <laughs> so after college, I moved to New York City and got a job in publishing. Um, my mom knew nothing about my secret that I never wanted to have babies, but she didn't have to know, right? Because I was like 25 and I got a job as an editor and I was like walking to work through Central Park. I got a job at the New Yorker. I would send home my business card like, I'm so great. You're there taking care of Joe. I'm so great. But I don't think I was really using my talents at that point. But again, I was having a really good time just trying to figure out what they were. Well, things kind of came to a head when I got to be around 28, and I had married this guy named Edward, but I called him Action because he was so action and adventure oriented. He was a newspaper reporter when we met, and then he decided he wanted to become a doctor. And I thought, this is so great. Doctors are so busy. He will never be around. He will never want to have babies. So I feel like my life is just coming along perfectly. I have my cover. Whenever my mother would call, I would just say, oh, you know, action's in the hospital. There's like, you know, a million patients. And sure enough, then he decides he's going to be a general surgeon. Okay, like, those guys are really intimate with their beepers. And there was, uh, you know, it was kind of great, though, because I would have my, my independent life doing my thing, and action had his, and we had a good time. But, of course, time rolls along, as we know. Those of us who have parents, they start to kind of wonder about us after a certain while. And, um, oh, I think we were married about seven years or so, and my mother, always very, you know, proper. She didn't want to, like, you know, interfere with our personal life, but she started to inquire, like, um, how are you in action doing? Fine, 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 fine. Oh, well, you know, Janelle just had her second baby, and then, you know, Lidar's on her third. And it was just the sense of, like, that is what it was all about. And so um, I would just avoid the topic. I just didn't raise it. I, oh, life is so busy. Life is so good. And I just didn't have the nerve to say to my mother, Mom, I just don't think I want to have 
babies because I felt like if I'd said that to her, it would be like I was rejecting her. Well then, a couple more years roll by. And we're living our very independent, lovely lives, hiking on the weekends and doing our careers. And I don't know if I've used my talents yet. <laughs> I get a call from my mother in California. And she says she's not feeling that well, hasn't been feeling that well. She's gone to the doctor. And the doctor basically tells her that she's, she's got cancer. She has ovarian cancer. And I'm in my late, 20, uh, late 30s at this point, and I'm thinking, oh my god, my, my mother, I don't know how much longer I'm going to have my mother. And, well, maybe I should just go and do this baby thing after all. I mean, after all, it is the most highest calling for a woman to do this. And so, um, Action and I, Action puts his beeper down for a while, and um, you know, uh, we actually do it. I mean, like, get, preg get pregnant. And um, I call my mother, and um, like, this is like one of those hallmark moments, you know, daughter calling mother, like, guess what, mom? And I figured it would be a tender moment, and I called her up, and she answers the phone, and I say, mom, guess what? I'm going to have a baby. And when I said it, I didn't know if I was happy or sad or what exactly. But I felt so happy to tell her while she was still alive. Um, that was right around our 10th anniversary. And we had already planned a trip to go to Italy and celebrate our 10-year anniversary. Hiking mountains, because that's what we did. Um, we flew off to Italy and roamed around the Cinque Terre region, and about day four or so, I started to get a little tired, and then day five or so, I started to bleed, and I went to a, we went to a hospital in Florence where nobody spoke English, Italian, of course, being the language du jour in Italy, and I realized that I was in the process of miscarriage. So Action and I flew back to the USA and I couldn't stand the idea of calling my mother and telling her I didn't know how much longer she had to live. So I delayed day after day, week after week, and then finally I picked up the phone to tell her that I had lost that pregnancy how sorry I was. But when she picked up the phone on the other end, she just stopped me and she said, you don't need to tell me what happened. I already know. There are just some things that a mother knows about a daughter. Telepathy. Later on, I came home to visit my mother. It would be the last six months of her life. And in between our chemotherapy treatments, we'd love to go to Seal Beach, which is about four miles from our house. And we'd sit in the car and have a latte and watch the surfers and the sunset. And like I said, she was this bathing beauty earlier on, and she loved the beach. And we loved the beach together. So we'd sit in the car and just, just oftentimes not say much. The white elephant in the room would never come up. 
But one day, my mother did say, if you could have anything in the world, Maura, what would it be? Anything. And I sat there next to her, and I just looked out to the ocean, and I just said, well, Mom, you know how you always wanted somebody in the family to write a book about love? Well, I would love to be a published author. And she looked at me with a look that said that wasn't exactly the answer that she was hoping to hear me say, but that, it act, but that actually it wasn't a wrong answer either. So my mother passed away the night of the solstice, the year 2000, in the middle of the night, and I was holding her hand. After she died, I started that book, and I finished it. And how thrilled I was when I got a call from a publishing company in New York who said they wanted to purchase my story. And then a call came in from People Magazine. They wanted my photograph for a mugshot. The book was published, and then it climbed aboard the LA Times bestseller list. So I never had that baby. But I hope my mother believes that I finally used my talents. Aww.